So I'm here and probably talking from a from the kind of professional staff member perspective rather than the academic perspective. Um, so I work in student support as a money and welfare officer and as part of that role one of my responsibilities is to be the dedicated contact for asylum seekers at the university. Um, I've spent five years at Keele now, um, originally working in the outreach team, so I've worked across both widening participation and raising aspirations and student support, so I, I kind of do things from both perspectives in, in the way that I work. Um, I moved to student support about two years ago and that's when I kind of took on this responsibility, so it's still a very new thing for me as well. I don't say that I'm an expert in any of this, there's a lot of universities that have been doing this for a lot longer, but I'm just here to kind of give our perspective of how we do things at Keele and, and what I've learned along the way. Um, so, the support available at Keele, we offer one Article 26 scholarship currently. Um, and we also have dedicated support and advice for students. Um, this is off the back of, I mean, we are as a, as a small campus university in the middle of Staffordshire that most people don't have a clue who we are or where we are. We're a very supportive community university. Um, and this can be seen kind of from the work that we do with underrepresented groups across the board. So um, we have dedicated contacts specifically for asylum seekers, LGBT students, care leavers is one of um, my responsibilities as well. Um, as well as students with caring responsibilities and estranged students. Um, and we have packages of support for, uh, support for each of these groups um, and asylum seekers is one of those groups. It doesn't look like we offer a lot for asylum seekers, just do two bullet points on there. We only have one scholarship, a lot of universities offer a lot more, but what I want to kind of make clear and I'll talk about a little bit later in my presentation is that dedicated support and advice is one of the key things that we, we, we pride ourselves on and one of the key things that we think students really benefit from and that's not just the students that get the scholarships it's also the students that are within the university who are kind of funding themselves or through different routes as well so I'll talk about that a little bit later as well. Um, so the Keele context, um, like I said there's lots of universities offering support via Article 26 or in, in lots of other different ways. Um, this presentation I'm, I'm going to basically just talk about our journey and what we've learned along the way and how it's come up, the good, the good, the bad and the ugly basically. Um, from pretty much the decision making processes that we went through to offer the support, to how we've implemented it, the challenges that we face and my, like, the, the key thing in this presentation is I've got a video of the students that we support offering their voice um, and I think that's going to be the most important part of my presentation so I'll try and get through to that as quickly as possible for you. Um, but just to give you an overview of where we came about kind of offering the support and where we're at now, this is, this is our journey in summary. So in summer 2013, our head of student support, who is my manager, attended an event which was the Article 26 conference that Rebecca was talking about earlier. Um, and she spoke to Rebecca and was inspired by the students that she spoke to, the staff members that were there, that were there the universities that were already offering support. And uh, she basically came back to Keele and said, right, how how can we get involved, how can we break down these barriers, what can we offer. So it, it did come from kind of the student support perspective and not um, as um, Sue mentioned earlier, it wasn't from kind of the, the senior management that said hey this is a good idea, it was from us going okay how can we do this and how can we implement it in our university. Um, so from that very um, like inspiring event we then started liaising with the Article 26 project to develop our package of support and trying to decide what it is we could offer, how we could offer it, how we implement it and what we can do. Um, and what we, did, what we did is we didn't say we're just going to do it straight off, we actually implemented a pilot year. Um, so for one year 
uh, in 2014-15 uh, we offered a student a scholarship for the first time to start their course at Keele um, and then following that pilot year we then had to go through the process again to try and receive uh, the approvals to actually continue to provide the support. Um, so we've taken a very cautious approach to, to this kind of project and this support. Um, and this year we offered our second Article 26 scholarship, so we did receive the approval to, to be able to do the scholarship on an annual basis, which was fantastic. Uh, so we offered our second scholarship for this year to a local student from a care background um, who is just finishing her first year. Um, this year as well, as a one-off, um, just because of the money that was available at the university, we also had the Keele Postgraduate Support Scheme Scholarship, which we offered. Um, this was a £10,000 scholarship um, per year for a postgraduate um, for postgraduate courses. The Article 26 is just for undergraduate students, whereas this one we offered to uh, the eligibility criteria included refugee um, for students with refugee status to access um, postgraduate courses. Um, unfortunately, we didn't get any applications and we're not able to continue the funding, but we, we tried. So oh, that's all I would say, we tried. And hopefully we can try again in the future. So why, why did we decide to support asylum seekers? Well, firstly was the inspiration from Article 26 and attending that event. Um, as we've already said, support and being able to kind of support underrepresented groups has always been a big part of, of Keel's um, like ethos and the mission statement and I even I wrote it down but I've written it down on the wrong side oh here it is uh, when you, you mentioned that not a lot of universities actually put diversity into their um, kind of mission statements or, or things we, we actually say in our mission statement that um, equality of educational opportunity is part of one of our values and one of our mission statements so this fits in perfectly with that um, as staff members in student support we have a genuine desire to help students it's what we do it's in our bones it's what we love doing um, and that kind of helped to kind of spur this on as well. And the key thing really is that at the time, the time was right for us as a university to be able to try and offer this support. So we had, uh, well, about three years into post, we've got a new head of student support who was very um, keen on widening our focus in terms of supporting students from underrepresented groups. Uh, we'd began to develop our support for, for care leavers and that was becoming very successful. So it was the time to then see what we'd done for care leavers and the package of support that we'd got for them to see how we could expand that to support other groups as well. Um, so at the time that's and, and and at the time that was kind of what we were wanting to do and this again fitted perfectly into that. Um, <coughs> implementing the support. So deciding that we wanting to do it and actually doing it um, it's easier said than done. So the easy part is going, yes, we want to help. The difficult part was actually agreeing how we were going to do it and what we were actually going to do. So the first thing we had to decide is, as a university, what support could we provide? Um, and we decided that we, as, a, as an institution, in terms of what our financial situation was and uh, where we were at, the, the basic, uh, the Article 26 offer is a tuition fee waiver to cover the fees. And that's what we decided that we would be able to offer. Particularly, again, as I said, we kind of took a very cautious approach as this was a pilot year and we wanted to make sure that we were successful so that we could be able to kind of build on it and continue to offer this support. So when we decided to do that, obviously we had to identify funding for it. And again, this was another reason why we decided on a pilot year. We identified that we had a pot of funds that had come from student fines um, that we could use to fund one student through a three-year degree. 
Um, and that pot of funds was set aside to do this project. And again, that's the pilot year. That's where the funding came from for that pilot year. Um, and that's how we managed to fund it. Um, so we've identified the, we've, we've said what we want to do. We've identified the funds. We then have to try and get it through the university decision-making process. Um, and to do that, we had to get the approval of uh, the university executive committee, which can take a very long time. So I'm sure you're all aware, proposals have to go through a lot of different committees to be authorised by different people at different stages of the year. And these meetings are only scheduled at certain times of the year. So we couldn't just go, yes, we've got the money. Yes, we're going to do it. Let's start it next week. We had to wait until we could go through these processes in order to put things in place. Um, but we did get the approval from the university exec, which was fantastic. Um, and we then needed somebody to actually implement it. So the decision was made and then it was kind of finding somebody to actually do it and administer it, which is where my job came in. Um, and that's when I kind of joined um, the project and that's where my work started. We then, um, at, after the pilot project, which, which was the pilot year that we did, that was very successful, we then had to go through the same process again to get the approvals to continue the, the project on an annual basis and continue offering the scholarships. So we've had to go through this process three times now um, to be able to kind of be able to continue and to keep building on the support that we provide. So it is very bureaucratic um, and it can be quite a laboursome process, but it, I'd say it's worth it and we need to keep kind of... It, by doing this, it keeps it fresh in the senior man management's minds as well of what we're doing and what the impact is having and that's a really good thing so it is a there's disadvantages to the process but also advantages of having to keep bringing it up and saying it's working and it's brilliant and look look what we're doing um i will say as well they appointed me to to run the project uh, to administer it and do all the kind of on the ground running um there's a lot of work that needs to be done and last year um, they also allocated a member of our, I work for the student welfare team which mainly works with home students and it found that some of my knowledge wasn't, it wasn't there to be able to support some of the students needs so a member of the international student support team has now also been allocated to help us to provide a kind of all round approach um, so what I don't know, Chris my colleague will know and what he doesn't know, we, we work together to be able to do this and that's really helped in being able to provide the support and, and keep the, the project going as well. So in terms of what we decided our Article 26 scholarship would provide, we decided, again, it would be one tuition fee, uh, fee waiver per year um, for a place at university until the student is awarded status or if they're able to access um, the tuition fees. We also, again, like I said, uh, a key thing, yes, we offer the tuition fee waiver, but we offer personal support tailored support plans uh, and development plans for each student to help them identify kind of what their needs are, what barriers they need to overcome and to help them achieve and succeed on the degree programme because getting somebody onto the on a scholarship and onto the course is not the end, it's the beginning and it's getting them to that end of their degree and graduated and moving forward which is also a key part um, of offering the scholarship so that's something that we are very keen to kind of develop and make sure is a, a key part of our offering. We are not able to provide financial support for accommodation or living costs. Other universities have been able to identify funding for this or are working with charities. Um, is it De Montfort that works with Unite to provide accommodation um, and, and that's brilliant but unfortunately at Keele that's not something that we are able to do. Um, so students when they're applying we are very explicit in terms of having to, to manage their expectations to say if you're applying for this scholarship 
you need to be able to show that you can support your living costs throughout your university course. Um, otherwise, we're setting you up to fail um, if you're not able to kind of to do that and support yourself whilst you're here. And then we have to promote the, short, the, the support, the scholarship that we provide. So it's not as simple as deciding to offer the scholarship and then expecting all the students to apply and to be able to offer a, a, an ideal candidate um, the scholarship. We actually got the approvals to begin our scholarship in 2013, but in tw and we were like we'll, we said we'd we'd kind of offer a scholarship for 2013 entry, but we didn't have any of the promotion or the processes in place to be able to advertise the scholarship and get the students to apply. So we had no applications that year, and we didn't offer a scholarship even though we were like we the money was there to do it. We didn't have the processes in place, so we were trying to put like the cart before the horse really, um, and it was probably a good thing that the, the student didn't actually, we, we weren't actually able to recruit a student that year. Um, so we do a lot to promote our scholarship, um, mainly focused kind of locally and um, with our working with kind of <coughs> different people across the university. The key thing um, that we, that I managed to get in place at Keele was I liaised with our admissions team to be able to put a flag on our record system. So that any time that somebody was assessed as being an asylum seeker or having limited leave to remain or if they met the criteria for the scholarship, they would tick that flag and then we could pull off the data from our records um, system, which is sent to me on a monthly basis and then I can directly contact those students, let them know that there's a, well those applicants, let them know that there's a scholarship available if they're wanting to uh, apply for it, but if they've already got plans to fund themselves, they also then know that I am the dedicated contact for them if they then join our university and if they need any support so it kind of it, it helps in two ways to promote the scholarship but also to promote the support that we provide as well as the scholarship we've developed a number of promotional uh, materials um, and we have dedicated web pages for asylum seekers and for the, the scholarship as well um, on our web pages um, and i have leaflets as well that go out to various events via our outreach team as well as giving them out on open days if we come across any students who we think this would be uh, relevant to I also work very closely with the Keele Outreach team, having been in that team before, I've still got a lot of links and, and friends and colleagues in, in that team. Um, so we like to ensure that the, the contacts that the Keele Outreach team have got are used to be able to try and get the message out there to, um, to the local schools and colleges, our partner schools and colleges, that there's a scholarship available and if they know of any um, students that they're working with um, that would benefit from this to try and get them to kind of sign up and and kind of get in touch so that they can ask any questions and that's worked really well I've, I've had contact with quite a few um, college um, um, college members of staff who are supporting young people um, to kind of talk them specifically through the application process and and ensure that they've kind of got the right um, information that they need to be able to kind of um, uh, apply in time and and have the best opportunity to get a scholarship. I think the key thing about working with the Keele Outreach Scheme um, at the university is that from talking to the students that we work with, a lot of them didn't know that they weren't entitled to student funding before they'd applied to university, got their place and then told by student finance that they, they weren't able to fund their courses. So the more we can do outreach wise to kind of get the message out there about what their um, about what what their situation is basically and how they can prepare for that um, then the better I think so that's a key thing that um, we do to promote the scheme 
Um, I also work with the Article 26 network, which is um, which is the very useful, extremely useful. So we promote on their website, um, and I don't think it, it's not just promoting on the website to say we've got a scheme, but it's also having the knowledge of who else is offering scholarships so that if somebody applies to you who is, say, from Manchester, and you know that Salford and Manchester University are offering scholarships as well, which may be more convenient for them and better for them in the first place, you can then advise your applicants of where else they can go for support and where to give them the best opportunities um, of accessing higher education. And I think, again, that's another... Um, key thing is not just kind of getting people onto your scheme but making sure you're getting the right people onto your scheme and putting people or pushing people in the, the right direction of other places that they might want to go um, that they might have a better or they might be more successful if they go elsewhere. Um, I also work with um, a number of departments and academics across the university to run um, campaigns during Refugee Week and we use this as a vehicle to try and um, promote the support that we offer whilst also raising awareness of the difficulties um, and the barriers that are, are facing asylum seekers and those with um, limited leave to remain in, in the UK. So in past events um, I've run events with, the, um, with staff in the university to kind of try and raise awareness within the university and let them know what we're doing and how they can support it um, whilst also getting involved in a lot of social media to try and promote what we do um, our students have written blogs and articles for us as part of uh, Refugee Week, which have been kind of um, put out into the public eye to share their stories and show what we're doing as well. So those have been um, successful campaigns as well to help with that. Um, and yes, that brings in the social media as well. We try and use social media as much as we can to try and promote what we do, linking with other um, external kind of companies and charities that also offer support so that we can um, link up to share the information of, of what we've got available. So the application process. Um, the application process was actually quite simple to put together because of um, what Rebecca showed, the, the Education for All um, resources that Article 26 provides and the other universities that have been offering Article 26 for a lot longer than, than uh, um, ourselves. Uh, are very keen to share their own resources and their knowledge to help us put things together. So um, in terms of the eligibility criteria, we kind of took a lot of kind of steer from um, the Article 26 resources and other universities in terms of what we were going to offer. So our criteria is um, that um, applicants must be an asylum seeker or dependent of asylum seeker or someone with some form of temporary status who doesn't have access to student finance. So we try and keep it quite... They, we don't... We don't say they have to be from a specific country or um, or from uh, or have a specific status. It's basically if you don't have access to student finance, um, then you could apply for the scholarship um, to help break down that barrier. Um, students or applicants must have received an offer from uh, the university for an undergraduate degree program before they apply for the scholarship. So that shows that they've already got the predicted grades to be able to to get onto the the, the course. Um, before we offer any scholarships out. Um, again, it's only for undergraduate as well. We get a lot of applications from people wanting postgraduate study, but it's not something that we offer as part of the scheme at the moment. Um, we don't offer... The, the, the scholarship doesn't include NHS-funded courses um, or foundation year courses. Foundation year courses was something that we originally um, included as an eligible course in the pilot year, but we then 
added that as a, a course that wasn't going to be included later on and I'll tell you a little bit more about how, why we made that decision later. Um, we also give priority to local students because this will basically help them if, if they've got to fund their own living costs, if they're living locally, it takes away that barrier of having to have additional funds to be able to support their living costs. Um, so that's our eligibility criteria um, and this is the um, process um, that we use. Um, it's a similar process, again, we, we took our steer from other Article 26 universities and Winchester University, we, they even let us use their, obviously we changed the logo, but we, we used their kind of application form and questions to be able to um, to, to put our um, project into uh, scholarship in, in, in place. So it was quite simple to put together, it wasn't difficult at all because the resources were already there. Um, so the selection process, the student apply for a course and then receive the offer from the university. They can then submit the application to uh, for the Article 26 scholarship. So to do that they have to write a personal statement um, and also uh, about why they think um, they would be a good for the university and why, what their aspirations are but also kind of what their need is in terms of the scholarship as well. Uh, we also get um, a referee supporting statement as well for all of the students so that um, we've got support from a, another person to verify their situation. Um, so when we receive the applications we then look at those and um, we shortlist them to interview, uh, to, to invite um, students that we, we think um, would be in the best position for the scholarship and for the university to come to an interview with us. Now, when looking at the applications, I have to admit, I, I have to look at them. I don't look at, we, we don't ask them for their story at all in the personal statement. They don't have to tell us why they're seeking asylum. Um, and a lot of the time, if they do tell us why they're seeking asylum, I don't look at that until I've looked at what their realistic expectations are in terms of coming to the course, coming to Kiel what their financial situation is, what their location is, making sure that we are shortlisting students who have every um, have the, the ability to succeed if they came to Kiel, not because they've got a really good story, because everybody's got a backstory. Um, so I try not to take that into consideration when I have to try and keep a very non-emotional head on my shoulders when we're, we're looking at shortlisting, and again for the interviews. Um, so when we invite students to uh, applicants to the interviews, we offer them the travel costs uh, to fund their travel costs to help them to attend the interview, and we assess in the interview on the following criteria. So it's their suitability and commitment to the course, and how motivated they are to study at higher education, but also Keel. Um, it's a decision like any other student. You've got to choose the right university and the right course for you. It's not just about going to university. Um, what their aspirations are and what their future plans are um, and then we look at their immigration status and their financial support to see how they plan to support themselves whilst they're at Kiel. So it is all very practically based and based on their aspirations and their, um, their, what they, how they, why they're wanting to study and their ability to study rather than again, like I said, looking at any kind of their background and, and their story. Um, we have support from Rebecca at the interviews, which makes it, um, which helps us to make our decisions to make sure that we're getting the right candidates. So uh, Rebecca's come along to all of our interview panels and been a member of the panel to help us make those decisions. Um, there's also something on the Article 26 practitioners page, uh, which is uh, on sorry on the Article 26 website. There's a practitioners page, so the universities who are offering Article 26 scholarships can 
share information about when their deadline dates are, how many scholarships they've got available, when their interview dates are. Um, and this is really useful because a lot of the students that are the applicants that are applying are applying to multiple universities because there's not many of these bursaries available. So this helps us to be able to kind of share information so that we can ensure that the most people are getting the benefit of the scholarships um, and they're going to the right institutions again, like making sure that people are doing what's right for them and not just trying to kind of it's not a competition between the universities. We, we like to work together to be able to offer scholarships to students. Um, this is some statistics that um, I've managed to pull off um, our inquiry system to show how our inquiries and how our applications have developed over the last three years. So in the first year when we did our pilot year we received 12 inquiries. Um, now that may be because we had a different system in place so I wasn't able to actually pull off the statistics, the statistics may have not been there for me to actually find that information. but we didn't have many inquiries at all. We received nine applications. Um, the first time we um, uh, we did a, a, a recruitment process for the scholarship, and of those nine, only six of the students were actually actually met the eligibility criteria for the scholarship. But we invited five applicants to the interview stages. Um, we then had to do, we, I'll tell you a, a little bit, we, there was a bit of a problem with the person that we first offered our first scholarship to. Um, uh, and they weren't able to take up their place. So we then had to do a second recruitment process through clearing um, for the 2013 entry, uh, where we had two applications through clearing, and we only invited one of those people to interview, um, and we did make an offer that year. As you can see, in the, in the following two years, uh, our, uh, our inquiries about the scholarship have dramatically increased to, like, in the 60s, Again, in the second year that we did it, we only received nine applications, and again, only six people were eligible for it. But we only invited two people to short um, to the interview stage because we were learning lessons along the way, and I'll I'll go into that a little bit more later. This year, we received 21 applications, which is I was astounded at because that's it doesn't sound like a lot, but it's it's a lot of applications. 16 of those were actually eligible, and six of those were from local students. In the previous years, we'd only ever had one local student actually applying um, and that makes it very difficult to be able to kind of with the whole we're not able to offer um, support for living costs it makes it, it a difficult position for the students to be in um, so this year we've been really pleased with kind of the the interest and the applications that we've had and the applications were of a really high caliber this year as well but again we only invited two um, of the applicants to interview and I'll explain our reasons for that in a second um, so as I said um, it's not just the scholarship that we feel is important at Keele, it's also the support that we provide along with it. So in terms of ongoing support for the students um, that receive the scholarships and also for those that we're aware of um, who are also kind of from an asylum seeking background or uh, funding themselves, um, we have regular support meetings. Um, these are kind of once per term, one at the start of the course um, and one, uh, well once per semester, we have one at the start of the course one at the end of the first semester so that we can kind of see how things have gone first semester and plan for the second semester and one at the end of the second semester looking forward to the next year as well. Um, this helps us to try and identify any support needs, find out how they're getting on, look at their progression and their success and their achievements but it also it's not just about kind of getting like looking at them from an academic perspective and like oh, how's your immigration 
um, status, are there going to be any changes on the horizon? It's not as just monitoring, it's not about just monitoring their status and how they're getting on. We also talk about um, what their aspirations are in terms of their extracurricular things, what things have they got involved in, is there anything that we can point them in the direction of to try and give them that whole university student experience and not just kind of focusing on the barriers that they've got as well, it's opening up opportunities for them in those meetings. Um, outside of those meetings, I'm available or Chris is available as and when required. So if there is ever anything that, that students need, um, they can contact us directly to arrange an appointment to come in and see us or to email us or to phone us. Um, we try and make ourselves readily available. That was also something that really helped when Chris also came on board with the project so that I didn't have to be there all the time. There was somebody else who could pick it up as well if I wasn't. Um, I also liaise with other university departments and external contacts to provide support um, and this includes like the compliance team if there are any issues with immigration status, um, the accommodation team if we need to try and um, help them with accommodation and getting them on campus if, if they're having any trouble um, with accommodation and also things like the counselling and mental health support we have on campus um, and also their academic schools and personal tutors. Um, we ask the students if they would allow us to share the information that they're on the Article 26 scholarship with these other people across the university to make it easier for us to just pick up the phone and say, I've got an Article 26 student who needs help, can you do it for me? Basically trying to bend the rules a little bit if we need to, to help these students. And, um, and most all of the students have signed that disclosure form and it's been really useful at times of, if somebody's been struggling academically, their personal tutor's picked up the phone to me and say, look, we, we, need, to, we need to support them with something else, what can we do? Um, and, and it makes it a lot easier to provide that holistic kind of support. Um, also working with external, um, like external support companies as well, contacts. Um, so if there's something, I said I'm not an expert, if there's something that I don't know or they're in a situation which I don't have the information or the knowledge about, I know I can pick up the phone to Rebecca and call her for advice. I can contact the rest of the... Um, the contacts at other universities and say has anybody been in this situation, what, what happened, what did you do. Um, I've also contacted Corum, the Refugee Support Network, um, and not just for the students that we have as well, but for the applicants. So we currently have a student studying at Keele um, who has, we did not shortlist her, but she applied for Article 26 at Keele and we didn't shortlist her because she didn't have the funds for, to support her living costs, but she was applying for a pharmacy degree. And I, I knew that there was a scholarship, the Westheimer scholarship, that would be suitable for her if she applied. And she managed to apply for that and get the scholarship. So she's now studying at Keele, even if we're not funding it. It's being funded by an external organisation. So that's something that I try to do as much as possible. Oh, five minutes, right, I better hurry up. Oh, no. <laughs> OK, this is probably really important, the challenges within the university. So. I've already discussed the university decision-making processes. It's a challenge getting the senior management on board. It's really bureaucratic. Um, we've had to do it over and over again, both for the pilot year and to get the, the continued approval. Um, funding, again, it, we identified a pot for the pilot year, which was simple. We had access to that. Um, when we decided to kind of continue the, the project, um, they said, yes, we can do it, but nobody, did, nobody kind of said where the money was going to come from. At Keele, we have a central pot of funds, and it wasn't just as simple as just going, we won't charge this student. The money needed to come from somewhere to kind of balance the books. Um, so we had to bid for the funding to be able to allocate from a central pot the, the funds. So that was something. Um, 
so because we didn't have the decision of where the money was coming from, we had students who we'd offer the scholarship to said the university was going to be funding the, the fees and the fees never got paid and they received emails from the income office saying you haven't paid your fees so we're going to withdraw you when it was us that were supposed to be paying them. So it was those kind of like one side of the university saying we're going to do this, the other side of the university is following processes that, that are standard but don't fit with this group. So I had to just keep ringing up and ringing up and ringing up to kind of try and stop things from happening. Um, Compliance is another issue that um, Rebecca picked up on. So we have conflicting responsibilities. The compliance team are very cautious about students and the risk to the Tier 4 visa. So uh, we did have a student who had submitted her application for asylum and that was um, rejected. So she's now had to submit an appeal. But when that was rejected, the compliance team were very quick to want to withdraw the student and it took a lot of battling be able to make sure that we could kind of keep the student on her course and continue studying um, whilst things are kind of being sorted out. Um, a student's international status, I think this was mentioned in one of the other presentations, is also a challenge within the university. So because the students are classes overseas, they have to go through all the international student processes. So we have students who have been offered scholarships at the university, classes and overseas student. They've studied in the UK all their life, but they have to do an English language test and it doesn't make sense and they have to go to international enrolment rather than the home enrolment with their fellow kind of they classify themselves as a home student even though they're international so it doesn't make for a very smooth um, transition process and it's just other barriers that have to come into place um, and then we have challenges actually supporting the students so from the application process it's managing the expectations managing the risks of their immigration status, their financial status, uh, having to use your head over your heart to be able to offer these scholarships. We only have one scholarship per year, so we have to make sure that the person we give that to has got the best chance of success, which means we have to give a lot of bad news. And these, student, these applicants, they've worked really hard and they've got a lot of agency and they don't want to take no for an answer, so you have to try and explain very clearly why they're not suitable at this time for your scholarship and like I said trying to point them in the direction of other opportunities that they can um, they can uh, they can have um, in our first year the student that we offered the, uh, the scholarship to didn't achieve their grades to get onto the course and like we said article 26 is that education should be for all on the basis of merit and she wasn't able to achieve those grades we didn't reject her straight off we did invite her in for um, an, inter an interview to assess her um, academic ability to see if we would be able to uh, uh, allow her onto the course or a foundation year course and she still wasn't able to meet the requirements of that test so we decided that from that moment on we would only offer it to undergraduate students that were able uh, not the foundation year course but only those that could achieve a full undergraduate degree complex knowledge is required um, it, it's a bit of a nightmare sometimes and I don't know all the answers the students' immigration decisions are, can affect their, not only their mental health but their kind of stability within the university, as I mentioned with the compliance team. And they also have financial difficulties in terms of funding themselves without support for living costs. Um, so to overcome these obstacles, one of the key things is senior management support. And that's not just from the very top of the university but also my managers above me. So whenever I have a problem, I know that I can go to the head of student support who can make decisions and can influence the top level of decision making at the university and um, they will be able to kind of discuss with other members of departments about where we can move forward keeping the students needs in mind. 
Uh, we incorporated Article 26 into the offer agreement, which means it's a key commitment to the university um, that it's there in writing. They can't take that away now, and that, that's really important to me because it keeps it safe. Um, we also, I like to raise awareness within the university, so talking to other departments about what we do and the barriers that these students are facing. I did that at, at one of our Refugee Week events. And off the back of that, our um, English language department who runs the um, English language test for international students said, if you ever get um, a student, an asylum-seeking student who you feel has already got the English language um, abilities and qualifications, let me know and I'll take them off the list so they don't have to take that in their first weeks of, of university. Um, we get support from the Article 26 network, which I think is really key, and also support from other external agencies. Um, I've been for training with the Refugee Support Network, which was invaluable um, to doing this job. I'm going to try and rush through it because I've got a video that is really, it's about five minutes long, but it's the best part of the presentation. Future plans. Um, in 20, so in, uh, from next academic year, um, we should have our first Article 26 student graduating. Um, and I'm really looking forward to that um, and celebrating with her. Um, from 2017, we have now had approval to increase the number of two, uh, scholarships we offer to two. It's not very much, but for us, it, it's a big, it's a big thing. I'd like to try and improve the monitoring. I said we've got that flag with our admissions team so that we can try and identify um, students within the university. It's not working as well as I want it to, so I'm going to try and improve that. Developing more pre-entry advice and guidance to raise awareness um, in with students before they come to higher education, again, I think is key. Um, and I want to try and continue to develop and update the knowledge that I have to be able to provide additional support to these students and specific advice and support. Um, I'm going to show you the video now. It's about five minutes long and then I'm done. Is that all right? Do you mind then if there's maybe not questions? That's fine. Yeah, in the break. break. That's, is that okay? Yeah. Sorry, I've overran. No, 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 don't worry about it. I didn't think I had much to say, but it turns out I had a lot more to say than I thought. That always the worst. Welcome to my room. Yeah. <laughs> Hi, my name is Cynthia. Um, I go to Kew University and I've been here for a while now in my second year of study, and I do psychology and sociology. I came into the UK in 2004, and in 2013, I was granted a discretionary leave to remain, which is a limited leave to remain. I started feeling the effects of that when I um, first came into sixth form because everyone was applying for UCAS to go to university. And then I went through the process, obviously, thinking that everything was normal. And then um, I got letters back from unis and UCAS saying that because of my status, I do have to basically like pay international fees. And obviously at that time, after going through asylum and everything, my mum wasn't working. Obviously I wasn't working. It was really difficult for us. I couldn't go to university and do what I really loved. I kept my hopes up because I really did want to go to university. And for me, my mum really did play a big part in this because she, well, she was like to me, like, even though it's expensive, it is over £10,000 we can do it and we'll find a way to do it. I didn't really give up and I was doing so much research until I came across um, the Helen Kennedy Foundation and the Article 26 and they were really nice to me. They spoke to me about um, how scholarships are being offered to people with limited leave to remain and that's when I found Kew University and 
I remember the first time I rang Kate and we spoke and she actually told me that they do have a position going and it made me feel so so happy and even though I probably had like the worst time of my life, it was so stressful trying to get all my status sorted out, my um, A-levels, it was sort of like a breath of fresh air when I was just like okay I have a chance. So um, I was invited in for an interview to meet um, Kate and to meet the whole student support system at Kew University. They were really, really nice to me and um, they felt they made me feel that even if I do come to um, Kew University, they're still going to have me that have my back, let's say, and they're going to support me through my studies. They um, offered me the scholarship in the end and honestly it was the best time of my life. And um, yeah, they offered me the scholarship. Kate um, helped me a lot with accommodation and getting everything sorted, settling into a new town because it was a lot harder considering like the financial side of everything. But with all that, like now I'm in second year, I haven't even felt anything. Like I've had ups and downs, but I always knew that if I do get really low, I can go speak to Kate and she can help me sort anything out. She's helped me look at some charities out there that can help support me. Now I'm going to third year and I can't believe it. So. <laughs> Yeah, that's, that's it, that's my story. Because <laughs> student started uni last September in doing a medical science course. Still got two more years to go. When I was 16, when I moved from care, they found out that I didn't have leave to remain in the UK and that would cause lots of problems with colleagues, school, uni. So um, they decided to make sure that they work on my immigration status. Sickness asylum was the best choice I had. And from a young age, I've always wanted to go into higher education and do big things. And I've always wanted to like help people. With uni, I didn't even think that come at all because I did ask around and it's it, even if I had the fees I would still have to have a student visa and um, luckily enough I had the scholarship which I was very happy about. This part is fantastic. Without it I wouldn't be at uni. It's very good because have all the council for free, you could go there, you can fill it down and we have priority on campus as well, being that okay, I'll leave it as well. So they do look after us very well and it's not like you targeted to be on you and asylum seeker. Nobody has to know. It's quite a personal thing that I don't want to know about. But it's very 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 challenging being a asylum seeker. You can't work, you can't, you can't do anything, you can't travel. I mean, my friends at uni wanted to travel, I wanted to go down and say, I can't. It's just loads of things that come in the way. Like finding jobs in campus, I can't work on campus. Oh no. Where's the thing? If I had the fees, I would still have to go there, you can 
important part of my presentation yeah, so thank you thank for letting you me to <laughs>